Dinar believe the end only comes once you have fulfilled your purpose. It provides meaning. So what was your purpose? To fix what is broken. Welcome to the General Order One podcast, where we are discussing the Star Trek Strange New Worlds television show. I'm joined by my longtime friend and fellow nerd, Ben. Hello. And today we are discussing Season 1, Episode 9, which is entitled, All Those Who Wander. All right, well, let's dive right in. So uh, the episode starts with the recap from, you know, previous episodes, just uh, catching us up on things we may have missed from the season. Normally I don't cover this, but it's actually very uh, appropriate this time. Um, it's worth noting that uh, there's a, it's a heavy, the recap is heavy on the Gorn and it's heavy on Hemmer. And there's one line that stands out, I'm going to say now because it ties in later. Um, Hemmer is talking about his purpose and he says, the Anar believe the end only comes once you have fulfilled your purpose. It provides meaning. And Uhura asks him, what is your purpose? And Hemmer's response is, to fix what is broken. Well, he went into the right career. <laughs> Indeed, yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean... A little on the nose, Hammer. When it first aired, or when I first saw the recap, I was like, oh, I mean, clearly it's a good quote for, or a good motto for an engineer, but uh, it actually ultimately ties into uh, a later episode, too. So yeah, it was kind of a, what, a two-handed sword? Um, so what we see is that the... Double-edged sword? Double-edged sword. I know, I said that and I realized immediately <laughs> it was stupid. You get the idea. It, it, had, it, was a, it, was a, it had two purposes, let's put it that way. I mean, you got the sword part right. That's, I'm 50 and the, and the two part right. I mean, two out of three ain't bad. Come on, that's like 66%. What do you want yeah, from that's passing. <laughs> the episode starts with Uhura doing a voiceover. She makes mention that her assignment to the Enterprise, uh, her training assignment, is over. And that she is going to be headed back to Earth soon, and that she's looking forward to seeing people on Earth. They, she says that their current mission, that the Enterprise's current mission is delivering vidium power cells to deep space station K7. I've heard those are the best on the market. The vidium power cells? Yeah, you want the vidium ones. Can you get them at Tashi Station? Uh, well, I mean, that's a different IP. I don't know. We'd have to talk to our lawyers first. Uh, Uhura mentions that um, she's still trying to find her purpose in life. She's still trying to figure out what she wants to do. She does make mention that there are a lot of other people, a lot of other cadets on Enterprise, and that uh, the, the Enterprise is their goal. You know, it's kind of the flagship of the the fleet, and that's where a lot of people are aiming. But this is definitely not her goal, is what she says. At least not at the beginning of this episode. Yeah, we've kind of circled back a bit because she's touched on this before in some previous episodes about she's not really sure if this is, you know, what what path she wants to be on. And yeah, I got to say, every time she says this, the the rest of the, you know, anyone she's saying this to is often incredulous. Like, are you kidding me? Like, you, <laughs> you, don't, you don't know if you want to be here? Like, everybody is killing themselves in Starfleet to get here. And now, anyway, and Spock specifically calls her out and says, hey, you know, if you aren't sure, you better step aside for someone who is, because there's 10, 20 people that would kill to be where you are right now. Well, it's almost more like not only is she unsure, but she's kind of almost against it. Like, yeah, on her rotation on a, like a lot of these positions and she's talked to a lot of people, but 
you know, she doesn't feel like she's made a lot of friends and nothing really jumps out at her. So she's almost kind of repulsed. She's, you know, like, all right, you know, I did this. It wasn't my thing. I'm going to go do my own thing. You know, she's, yeah, I, and she excels at everything. She's, she's good at it all. Yeah. Um, I mean, Mike calls her a genius a couple times. Yeah. I mean, clearly, frankly, she's almost too good. <laughs> she's, she's like the best at everything at this point, but, uh, yeah, she's super competent and everybody's impressed with her. But yeah, at the same time, she's like, eh, I don't know. Like, this is fine for you guys, but I don't know if this is for me. Ultimately, the, the next thing we see is uh, it's the inside of Pike's quarters and he is congratulating um, Chia, who I don't think we've met before, and who no. are completing their cadet training rotations. So he's having a little, you know, congratulatory party saying, good job doing what you needed to do. There's also uh, another gentleman there named Ensign Duke, and he gets promoted to lieutenant. And I don't believe we've seen Ensign Duke before. No, I'm pretty sure both of these folks are new in this episode. So um, Uhura has, you know, let the crew know that she was not going to be uh, staying on the Enterprise. Pike gives her one last little speech he does tell her you know he's i'm not going to give you the hard sell he's he doesn't want to beat a dead horse i think is what he says but he does mention he says there will always be a place for you on the enterprise so he kind of softballs it to her and lets her know that hey we'd really like you to be here but i'm not going to twist your arm yeah he's he's very understanding um and you know she she doesn't come off i think as as thinking she's not radiating this energy of like Starfleet's dumb and you guys are dumb for being here. If she was dismissive of Starfleet, I think people would probably present her, <laughs> but uh, it's more that she just isn't sure it's for her. So she's not going like, yeah, I don't know what the purpose of this is at all. She's like, I don't know what my purpose is here. I mean, I get that this is important and you guys are driven and you're doing good stuff. Just, I don't know if I belong. She plays her cards pretty close to her vest. I mean, she lets the crew know that this isn't her thing, but I don't think she goes into detail with any. I don't I don't get the right. impression at this point that she has any real close friends that she's confiding in and saying, you know, hey, this just isn't really my thing. Yeah. In in the middle of this celebration, uh, Spock calls from, uh, we presume, the bridge, and he mentions that they have a priority one mission from Starfleet. And Una actually responds, aren't we already on a priority one mission? So there's a little debate about, you know, what happens when you have two priority one missions comes comes in. There is um, there's a brief mention because uh, Laon is missing and uh, Una actually says that Laon has scheduled some personal time and does not elaborate on it. Mm hmm. And then, um, so right as they're about to walk out to go respond to whatever this priority one mission is, like Pike is doing the dishes because they have just had dinner, and he hands Spock like the apron. I think he, I don't know if he puts it on him or he whatever. He just hands it to him and says, you know, hey, take well, uh, someone. I can't remember who it is. Questions him and says, you know, hey, uh, you're really going to be doing the dishes while we're doing this briefing? He says, you know, I I can do more than one thing at a time. Right. And uh, but then like, when it gets serious, he says, okay, well, hang on a second. He hands the apron to Spock and says, take over for me. Cause yeah, he's, uh, he's, I got to get into this briefing. This is a bigger deal than I thought it was going to be. Ultimately they determine that, uh, there is a ship called the USS Peregrine and it activated a distress beacon about four days ago. There is mention, I think Ubenga mentions 
that the, it is a Sombra class ship, and that's a unique class of ship. I don't know anything about it, but it's worth mentioning that it is a unique style of ship. It's um, I don't know if that's going to come up later, but it is not a standard uh, ship. Um, so he mentions that it's built from the same parts that Constitution class ships are built from. So right, it's similar to the Enterprise, but it sounds like it's a it's a smaller ship, but it's of a similar quality to the enterprise is the enterprise a constitution class ship. Yes. I should know that. And I have no idea. Okay. Uh, so they make mention that they need to go on essentially, they need to respond to this distress beacon. I think Pike has actually made mention before. I think they are required by Starfleet code or whatever to respond to all distress beacons. So, um, they have to go on this mission to investigate what happened to the USS Peregrine, but they also make mention that they had those power cells for Deep Space Station K7, and the nature of those power cells is that they, I assume, only have a limited lifespan, and they cannot go on this uh, this distress call mission and then come back and deliver those power cells. They will be useless. Actually, yeah, which they, is a little strange. Like you'd think your power storage medium would last. I mean, yeah. what, like once they deliver them to the station, do they? They, I mean, they got to plug them in right away, or they just descend, it, yeah, yeah, I don't know. It's yeah. not clear. It's clearly a plot element, but yeah. There, also, you would think Star Starfleet sent them to deliver the power cores, and now Starfleet sending them to go after the Peregrine. You would think that included in those orders would be, okay, hey, we told you to do the power cells, but now we need you to do this instead. So here's how you're going to address this issue. We want you to do X, whether that's just dump the power cells or, you know, whatever. It was it was kind of strange. They just left that ambiguous and Pike had to fit. I mean, like it should be a decision like, the, you know, an admiral, somebody up the food chain should make, not the captain, right? Right. I mean, you know, he's got a lot of autonomy. They're out, you know, on the fringe or whatever it is. But still, yeah, the orders are coming from Starfleet. This wasn't just they just picked up a distress call. And then that would have made more sense if they had, you know, we're on this mission from Starfleet. But, oh, now we've picked up this distress call and we have to decide what to do. Yeah, that's a good point. What's the point of it coming from Starfleet? It would have yeah, been not, more, not sure there. The plot more if they had just picked up a random one. Well, the the thing that's worth noting about the power cells is so they have to make a decision. Do we go check on the USS Peregrine or do we uh, take these power cells? And this, if they choose to not go to the space station, the, the whole station will go dark, including life support is what they say. So it's really, uh, you know, it's a Sophie's choice. They got to decide. You know, do we go after, you know, these people that have activated this distress beacon or do we, you know, basically doom this space station? Yeah. And they I mean, they say all that. So we, we get the information, but uh, it, it's the way it's delivered. It just the decision didn't seem like. I don't know, they, they they didn't quite have the gravity of the situation, I felt like in this scene of, oh, man, like, you know, it's not just that these folks on the space station are going to be inconvenienced. They're going to die if we don't deliver these power cells. So <laughs> we've got to do both. How are we going to figure this out? It was just, well, we can still do both. Yeah. Right. I mean, I mean, that's what Pike ultimately ends up deciding, right? He decides yeah. he's going to split the party. He's going to take the cadets on one last away mission is what he says. And he's going to send the enterprise all along to the space station. So this uh, away mission, this party will be 
you know, disconnected from the Enterprise for however long it takes for them to get there and then come back and rescue them. It just seemed like they were having more of a discussion about what they were going to do as if there was some kind of choice here, whereas it really seems like they have no option but to do what Pike decides to do. Right, right. Unless they're literally just going to say, yeah, everybody that's on, you know, this deep space station, however many people that is, we're just going to forget them. And that's not, that's not really the Starfleet way. They're not, uh, they're not an ends justifies the means kind of organization. So, I mean, that's, I mean, that's what ends up happening. Pike decides he's going to take a, an away team and that the rest of the enterprise is going to, uh, head along to the star base. So the next scene we see, uh, I believe it's Pike, Hemmer, La'on, Uhura. We see Kirk against first time we've seen, uh, Kirk in yeah. quite a few episodes. What's his first name? It's Kirk's dad, whatever his George. Name. George Kirk. Uh, we or have Spock. Sam. George Samuel Sam Kirk. We see Spock, we see Ubenga, and we also see Chapel. Um, so it's quite the away mission. It's interesting that they sent both of the doctors. I, mean, I thought I, the same thing. As soon as I saw Chapel, I was like, wait a second, she's here too? Like, they sent the whole medical team? I mean, granted, it's a distress call. I get it. But, I mean, that leaves... What if something happens? And, you know, it's not like things don't come up. <laughs> on the USS Enterprise once in a while. Well, yeah, I mean, it's got a crew. I mean, didn't we determine at this point it's got a crew of about 150 people? I mean, that's... Yeah, and every other day they run into some death-defying situation where half the crew's in danger or injured. So, yeah, I would think that they would leave someone... I mean, that we've seen other medical staff in sickbay besides the two of them before. So they're not the only medical personnel on the ship, but they're clearly the two you know, heads of sick bay. So yeah, I thought it was strange. It, it struck me too. The second I saw that, I was like, wait a second, really? They're both going. Okay. I guess for, for that. Yeah. I mean, they also have Pike and Spock. So, I mean, I guess Una's still. I mean, granted of the two missions, you want to staff up for this one because the other ones literally just fly to this station and unload the cargo. We see the, the away team and they have landed on an icy planet there is snow flying around and they are clearly all cold. I did make mention um, that you can see they land, I don't know, probably half mile, quarter of a mile away from the USS Peregrine. And you can see it in the background, in the behind them. And it's, I, I guess it's in the ice or in the snow and it's at a cockeyed angle. So you get the impression that it is perhaps crashed. They and, mentioned that before that it had, it had made an emergency landing. Okay on the planet and uh umbenga says something along those lines of isn't any landing on a planet an emergency landing right <laughs> right you know it always strikes me like as i just watched an episode of voyager and they land voyager on a planet too. they made such a big deal out of that in season one of voyager how it can land right. on planets and then they never do it again <laughs> well like it's so i mean i don't know i imagine it's like you know a, a you know, a gigantic boat, like a cruise ship, like they are not designed to be on land. No, it, it's the separating the saucer section of yeah. ENG where they did this cool thing at the beginning. And then, <laughs> I mean, very clearly it's where they realized, Oh shoot, this eats up a ton of special effects budget when we do this. So we'd better not do it again. Well, you have all these ships that are designed to, you know, operate in space where there's zero gravity. Now you have this gigantic ship, on a planet with gravity affecting it, like the right, you know, the, the ships. I, I would imagine they are not designed to be structurally 
strong land or something that's going to stay in vacuum versus something that's going to go down in an atmosphere is very, very, very different. Anyway, so we see that the Peregrine crashed in the back, or I guess landed in the background. Uh, ice and again, ice and snow flying around. Hemmer makes mention that he likes it because it reminds him of Andoria, so they are clearly a cold species. Yeah, and that confused me because you know he's. I, I can't remember what species Hemmer is, but he's he's not an Andorian. I think we've established that, but he sure looks like one. And now he's waxing about missing Andoria. I'm like, okay, I don't, I don't know. He he's not an Andorian. I thought he was. I thought they said he was he was some other species. Yeah, I just looked him up real quick. He's he's an Anar. Yeah, whatever that is. So he's Anar, but maybe he's from Andor. I don't know. It's not important. Yeah. Um, so they make mention, you know, they all get their tricorders out. They're going to see if they can find any life forms or see anything. Oh, and sorry, they... they're a subspecies of Andorians. Oh, so he is native, Andor- to, the, native to the northern wastes of Andoria. Oh. Wow. Okay. Well, uh, I don't know when we find out about this subspecies of Andorians. Um, oh, it's from Enterprise, apparently. Anyway. All right, well, I didn't know that, but uh, there we go. So he is an Andorian, just a different kind of Andorian, so that's why he's remembering An- Andor fondly. Andor. So Andoria. <laughs> yeah. Now nope. he's crossing IPs. We see, uh, the next scene, we see uh, the, they make a quick mention that the scanners aren't working, and they see some bloody something on the ground. So there's clearly been some sort of battle or accident or something. And then um, it cuts, and they uh, you're, you're sort of getting an interior shot from uh, the USS Peregrine, and we see, like, Pike kind of, like, crowbarring open, you know, this door, and you see the snow behind him, you know, so they are on the outside trying to get into the USS Peregrine to, to see what has happened. There's kind of blood all over. There's a couple bloody handprints. They um, found a body at this point, too. Had they? Okay. Yeah. So clearly there has been either a major accident or something bad news has happened because they have not they haven't detected any life signs and they haven't really the, the ship is clearly in bad shape. Yeah. So he gets the door open and uh, most of the away team uh, comes on board the USS Peregrine. And I made mention here or I took notes that the away missions uh, the away mission uniforms on this episode they're all like black leather. Yeah. Fancy looking. They are like not like any away team mission we've seen in any other show or even in this show. Like they're kind of fancy looking. Yeah. Again, the costume department's killing it. Um, We see, and I thought this was kind of a cool choice is because we saw the exterior shot of the USS Peregrine being kind of at an angle stuck in the snow. The camera is actually, you know, the camera that's filming the show is actually cockeyed, you know, 15, 20 degrees for like the next probably two or three scenes to indicate to the audience that this ship is, is not level with the ground. So there are some artistic shots with the camera to remind the audience. You know, yeah. When you're a fancy pants director, you get to do Dutch angles a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So they do some investigation and they determine that all of the systems are offline, but the controls uh, while they were up and working had been rerouted to engineering so you kind of get the impression that the crew was holed up in engineering and they were trying to, you know, consolidate down to, you know, a small section of the ship. But there's, yeah, the, I can't remember whose line it is, but there's a mention that this is a little strange. You know, why would they do that? Why would they route all the controls to engineering? They're a little puzzled by this. 
Right. Laon does some casual looking around and determines that there she's found 20 casualties, including the captain. So immediately we know that a good chunk of the crew is they have found the bodies of them anyway. Yeah, and they've they've found basically a a massacre out on the ice as uh, part of the crew was searching outside. They found this site where there's a whole bunch of bodies that are just strewn about. They are able to do some research on the the ship uh, on the panel there, and I believe it's Uhura determines that there are 99 people aside to the crew of the Peregrine, and they've already found 20 bodies. Yeah. So, and they've, like you said, seen lots of blood. So whatever has happened here, it's not looking good for the crew. Yeah. And at first, Umbenga uh, says he believes that the, you know, the first couple bodies they find, he, he looks like they just got caught in the storm. And uh, he he believes that for some reason, the, the crew uh, must have all been outside the ship and gotten caught in the storm and died. Uh and then as they start finding these bodies and yeah, blood everywhere, they are realizing that no, something much worse has happened here. It cuts and we see Pike listening to an audio log. So they've been able to get the computer system to respond enough. So it's not like it, the entirety of the ship is down. It's just definitely not functional. Um, and there is an audio log and it's not clear who is leaving this audio log, but the, the audio log indicates that the Peregrine found three survivors and one of the survivors had a Gorn egg egg implanted in it. Uh, it's it's the captain of the Peregrine who's leaving the yeah. It's her. It's the captain's block. She doesn't she make mention that they rescued him from some sort of slave planet or something like that. My recollection was that it was they just found their their ship adrift somewhere or something like that. Okay. So the the Peregrine has rescued some survivors, one of which had a Gorn egg on it or in their body, or or some amount of Gorn eggs. Yeah, had yes. several. Apparently, one of the crew of the USS Peregrine recognized the Gorn, you know, egg or symbiote, or they did a scan and they were able to determine it that they were infected with a Gorn. And the crew used a grenade basically to blow everyone up and to kill them. So they clearly, I mean, as we've seen in the past episodes, the Federation is very afraid of the Gorn. They are very violent species, so much so that one of the crew just decided to uh, take everybody out and uh, used a grenade. And apparently the ships are tuned to automatically send a distress call in response to explosions. So she makes mention that that was the reason that a distress call went out was because the ship sent it, not any of the crew. Right. And she specifically says, you know, hey, we, we and we tried to stop that. If, if anyone's getting this, you shouldn't have come and you should leave right now. Yeah, her exact line is, if if I could reach Starfleet now, I would say stay away. And she's clearly, her voice is very serious. They are, there's a lot going on with uh, the Gorn, clearly, on this ship. Next, we see Uhura gets the systems up, and she, or at least some of the internal systems that were presumably the scanners, she finds two life signs, one of which is a human and one of which is unknown. So immediately the crew is um, kind of on edge because they're anticipating perhaps that there's, you know, one survivor and and, and maybe a Gorn left. Mm -hmm. They decide to go and investigate to try and find, you know, if there is indeed any people left. And as they approach it, this one doorway, we see this blue 
alien guy come out of the door. And it was not any particular race that I recognized. Did you recognize that guy? This is a, yeah, this is a brand new race. We've not seen these before. So the blue guy comes out and he has a, kind of a, a staff or yeah, a, some kind of spear Spear, Yeah. And he's a little bit, um, I want to say protective, not violent, you know, cause it's whatever five on one. And, um, he starts talking, but the, you don't understand what he's saying. And I think at one point Pike asks Laon, you know, Hey, what's he saying? And, they basically say that the, for whatever he's saying, the universal translator does not understand what he's saying. So the implication is this is some sort of brand new race or some yeah. sort of brand new style of communication that the computer does not know how to handle. Yeah. And she said, Lon says, okay, or well, do something. Right. And says, that's not how linguistics works. Yeah. I can't, I can't just listen to this language I'd never heard for 30 seconds and start communicating with them. The obvious thing was, because again, it was five to one, right? I mean, the obvious thing would have been, you know, to put your hands up and not aim five guns at this blue guy if they want to calm him down. But that was yeah. Good. Ultimately, that's what Pike says. He has to tell everybody like, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. This guy doesn't understand us. We don't understand him. It's not a Gorn. Let's just everybody put our weapons down and see what happens. So that's what they do. And the, the blue guy lowers his spear and decides that, um, you know, he's going to at least try and help them. And he leads them back into this doorway, this cabin, whatever, where he was hanging out. And there's a young human girl. She's, I don't know, probably 10. You get the impression that this blue guy and this girl have kind of been holed up here um, probably since the distress call went out. Yeah. So several days. The next thing we see, it cuts to uh, Hemmer and Uhura. So the, the party has split, the away team has split up and they are exploring different parts of the ship, which to me seems like a terrible idea, right? I mean, they know that at least 20 people are dead and there's just blood everywhere. I would think you would want to keep all your resources together instead of like sending people off in like two two person investigatory teams. Although at this point they they're, they're operating under the assumption that the, the Gorn are all dead. Okay. I mean, they get, you know, they get this indication that this grenade was used. They found, you know, all these dead bodies out on the ice. They know the Gorn don't like the cold. Um, it, it's not the worst assumption, but it's, I, I tend to agree with you. They, they're a little bit lax with their security here. It seems like maybe they should have, you know, dug a little bit deeper before they just start splitting up. But right. Um, ultimately, Hemmer, Hemmer and Uhura are on a, you know, uh, they're doing their own thing. And, Uhura, she's kind of making small talk with him, and and she mentions she's you know that she will miss him when she goes back. That because it seems to me that Hemmer is the person that Uhura connected with the most. Yeah, I think that's true. And um, Hemmer had a great line where he said, "People tend to find their way back around in Starfleet." So Hemmer's not too worried about not seeing her again because he has a feeling that yeah, things and it's it's out. nice to see you know yeah Hemmer is in engineering with Uhura. They're trying to fix the ship, but when they first come on the ship. Pike kind of turns to Spock. Hemmer's there. They're all there when they walk onto the ship at the first. And <laughs> Pike turns to Spock and says, you know, hey, Spock, let, you know, what's what's the status of the ship? Uh, let me know what the system, what's what systems are up and, uh, you know, what's what's our prospects for getting this thing fixed? And I was thinking, boy, that sure seems like a question for Hemmer. <laughs> yeah, good point. I mean, but, you know, Spock, Spock is this, you know, Spock's are one of our stars of the show and. We got to give him something to do, I guess. And, and, you know, it's, 
we're presumably going to have, you know, six more seasons of this thing. There's going to be plenty of time for Hemmer to shine later, but, um, you know, would have been nice for him to get a little bit more engineering in on this episode. But then later with Ohura, he gets to do that. So he does not get a ton of credit as the chief engineer in this show. Certainly not like in some of the other shows, right? I mean, like O'Brien was a superstar, right? I mean, right. Yeah. The engineer chief engineer usually has a lot more to do on the show than in this one so far. The next thing we see is it cuts to sick bay and we see the blue guy. We see the young girl. We see Umbanga and chapel. They are um, just checking out the girl, the young girl. Laon walks in or she was already there. I forget. And she starts to just glaze into this little girl and, and just grills her about why she didn't tell the, the rest of the crew about the Gorn egg. When they saved this little girl, she was just like, you know, this is really reckless. You should have told the people that were coming to rescue you that this guy had a Gorn egg in them. She's, she has given her the, the third degree for sure. Yeah. Like this little 10 year old girl, like she has no idea what's going on. So at one point, like it's it's so kind of aggressive that Umbenga steps in and he says, "Laon, stop harassing my daughter," and then he catches himself and he and he changes it to my patient. So yeah, clearly he's still you know reeling from the loss of his daughter. But yeah, he's still working through some things. Nice to see. He had to jump in at all though. Just speaks to how aggressive Laon was being. Totally, but uh, no, that's that's a nice little nod to. Uh... We're going to have a little more continuity in this show than we have in in some other Star Trek shows. Even though this is an episode of the week t- style show, uh, we're not going to forget what happened to these characters, at, you know, the next week. Which again, generally, is what happened in you know, say Next Generation and and Voyager to a point. Voyager had a little more of a through line than than that, but Next Generation things would happen, and the next week it'd be like you know, it'd be fine, you know. Jordy gets kidnapped by the Romulans and brainwashed into being an assassin. And then the next week he's just like whistling through engineering, like, you know, <laughs> well, in, I mean, in that was the nature of TV back then. Right. I mean, right. yeah, I was a huge Star Trek next generation nerd and not even I could catch every single episode. Right. right. You know, so, and, and VCRs were such a brand new thing. Like it, it wasn't even feasible that you could record every episode. I mean, yeah, you the they couldn't assume that the audience was had seen last week's episode. It's such a weird paradigm because you look at it now and it's insane to not watch the entirety of a show or a season and right? in order. In order on one weekend, you could binge the entire right. thing, right? You know, like when we were kids and we were watching Next Generation, if you wanted to watch all of season two, you had to tune in on 24 different days. You know, yeah, I mean, not, and not necessarily consecutive sure. ones. There'd be breaks in there. Right. So, I mean, it was, it was, yeah, right. It might be a repeat this week and then up next week's the new one. And yeah, if you didn't catch it. So, yeah, I think it's kind of a double edged sword because I do like, you know, the stories that arc longer. I think than... it's more of a two handed sword. You're right. I'm never going to get that right. So no, you said it. No, you got it right this time. <laughs> I mean, because what, what ends up happening? And, and to me, sometimes I think it's exhausting because it's like if you don't watch all of the episodes of something, you feel like you missed out. Like, you know, like uh, this this season kind of yeah. I'm going to skip the rest of these episodes and then pick it up again next season. See if, it, you know, it catches up. Yeah, you can't really do that. But the other thing, though, is that our seasons are a lot shorter now. This is 10 episodes and a next generation season was 22. Right. 
you could easily have done that in next generation. Just, you know, you could have gone to college and missed an entire year and come back and picked right up. Right. And, you know, and depending on the season, that probably wouldn't have been the worst idea. Right. Um, Laon, just to circle back to the actual episode, Laon does make mention. Um, she says the girl and the two aliens were probably refugees from a breeding planet. It was a breeding planet, not a slave planet. So Laon is basically explaining, and I believe it's right here where she flashes back to her brother and her being hunted by the Gorn. So clearly Laon has, um, experience with the Gorn. Um, so she basically makes mention that the, their, the Gorn, breed on specific planets and they capture various races and species. It's very, very much like the xenomorphs from aliens. Yeah. We'll, we'll get into that some more, but yeah, it is. Um, and the, the logistics of this are just insane. You know, they're going to set up these whole planets with breeding humanoids and a lot of them presumably so that they can breed themselves. Like how did that, process even gets anyway yeah what we see next is spock is off on his own and he's exploring the ship he's walking down this this poorly lit hallway he's got his what are those things like it's like a phaser rifle yeah no it's one step up from the hand phase anyway so he's he's walking down this hallway and he sees a very like a bloody trail in the hall. not you know like drips of blood like a body has been drugged there's clearly a lot of blood in this hallway and it's leading to this air vent i guess and you know you can see the air vents blood and he, he's walking over and he's getting kind of close to it and, you know and there's some tension <laughs> building up here and Mbenga and pike just you know appear right behind him and and spock freaks out he just kind of jumps a little bit. He doesn't even like scream or yell or anything. He just kind of, you know, he he he's startled. And, yeah, and Mbenga says, "Oh, I didn't realize you were so jumpy." It's like, dude, you snuck up on him on a ship that's been, like torn apart by the Gorn. What do you want? Yeah, the lights are out. There's no AC. You've seen nothing but blood and bodies. Like it's just bad, bad news. And he's surprised. Like, oh, I didn't really think sneaking up on you was gonna be an issue like i don't know i just kind of felt like the crew it seems just... like a good idea for spock to be on high alert yeah right right and yeah frankly he's he's kind of you know uh, luan has been she's clearly primed to be concerned about this she's on high high alert so spock but yeah uh pike in particular has just been really laid back this whole episode yeah good point he's you know, kind of like, okay, guys, you know, let's get the job done. And he doesn't seem too phased by the fact that they found this whole crew murdered by Gorn. Um, and yeah, he's supposed to stay calm and keep the crew focused. And, and he's doing what a captain should do, but he doesn't seem like calm and determined. He seems calm and detached almost. Yeah, that's a good but point. again, I guess, uh, you know, he knows he's not going to die. Yeah, okay. He he is rather unperturbed to be on this mission. He's yeah. probably the least on alert of all of the crew. Yeah. But yeah, again, he's the only one of them who who knows for sure that he's got like nine and a half more years to live. So he's got the get out of jail free card. Yep. We cut to uh, sick bay and chapel and actually uh, cadet Chia is there now too. So she was on the away mission, but we didn't see her until now the little girl. And then the blue guy who the girl has told us is she has nicknamed Buckley. So those, the, the four of them are in sick bay and the blue guy is not looking very healthy. Right. 
So Chia, or not Chia, I'm sorry, Chapel is sort of investigating. At one point, she pulls up like the sleeve on his arm, and it's kind of all slimy and gross. And there's a cut to his um, a shot of the side of his neck. And I wasn't sure if he was bleeding blue blood or that was his veins, but it was clear that Buckley was not in a good place. He's he's very sick. Yeah, and uh, he's he's his pulse is elevated. He's panting. He's breathing heavily. Um, I feel like you could make some inferences at this point, uh, but uh, that doesn't happen. Chapel just keeps investigating as if he's just got a cold or something. Yeah, those are all signs of illness in any race, let alone this brand new race they've met. But yeah, you're right. She seems unperturbed by it. Yeah, and again, you know, they've, they've had a lot of encounters with the Gorn. They've got people who've had firsthand encounters with them. They, they, I would think, would have some information about what this whole breeding process they have looks like. Well, di- didn't Lon say in the last episode that the Gorn were like a rumor that no one has ever actually seen the Gorn? And Laon says anybody that's ever actually seen the Gorn ended up dead. So they're they're kind of like a they're like the boogeyman in the Federation. Well, Laon's seen them, so right. Laon has. Laon's the only one taking it seriously. Yeah, maybe that's why they don't have detailed records on them. Yeah, maybe that's true. But again, though, you would think like when they figured out the oh, the Gorn were here and did this, that Pike would have been, hey, you know, maybe I haven't gotten all the details from you before. But hey, Luan, right now, what tell us everything you know about the Gorn. Right. Yeah. Anyway. Oh, well. So, yeah, it's a mystery why this guy's sick. And yeah, right. That's a good point. Like all this talk of Gorn eggs and, and and Buckley is sick and nobody seems to be worried about it. Except the the little girl. So she sees, you know, Buckley panting and doing whatever he's doing. Yeah, and she she just gets out of dodge. She gets super nervous. She runs and hides um on top of one of this this med bay and she covers her mouth. She's clearly very scared. We, yeah, she's like, I've seen this movie before. I'm getting out of here. She cut the camera cuts back to Buckley, and he just full on chest bursts, alien style. We see um, four small aliens, probably the size of mice, rats. Yeah, something like that. Burst out of his stomach, and, and he is clearly done. One of the 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 small aliens, which are Gorn. Uh, immediately attacks one of the other, um, I want to say embryos, that's not the right word, one of the young ones just bites it in the neck. So there, we know that there are, one of them is dead and three are alive. Chapel, after she sees what has happened to Buckley, she finally you know, realizes that this is serious business. She runs and hops up on top of one of the other med bays and puts up a force field, which I thought was kind of cool. Yeah, and and smart, quick thinking on her part. Yeah, absolutely. And then we see uh, it cuts real quick, and we see a uh, Duke, and he is in this hallway, and they he's having a discussion about this away mission, and immediately, not immediately, there's kind of like this slow overhead shot you see down yeah. this ladder. And ultimately what ends up happening is one of the Gorn, one of the baby. Hey, hey, look, look, don't, I mean, we know what's going to happen. He's, he's on a Star Trek show. This is the first time we've ever seen this character and this is a dangerous situation. He's going to be fine. He's, well, he's lucky he got a name. I mean, I mean, he's got a name, so <laughs> there's a chance he might come back. If he had been unnamed, it's guaranteed. Sure. 
never to see him again. Anyway, what what ends up happening is uh, you see this overhead shot from this ladder. Uh, one of the baby Gorn uh, drops down and bites him in the neck. And then um, something, uh, it kind of looked like it was the baby Gorn at first. Like, it's not clear. Something drags him off into the shadows. Well, th- yeah, this this shot didn't look great. But, yeah, it's yeah. it's the baby Gorn, like, somehow, like, hauls his whole body, like, down the corridor. On on the second time I watch it, because he's in the shadows, I get the impression that one of the older Gorn drug him down there. No, you thought it was the little tiny well, thing? I don't know. I mean, are there older Gorn at this point? Clearly, the Gorn get bigger later. There's a dog-sized one later. There's an alpha. Yeah. I kind of assumed that maybe that was what drug him, not one of these little ones. It, it's not important. It, it was definitely yeah. weird. The way it was shot, I mean, Duke is a full-blown adult human, and he just sort of gets drugged down. Yeah, this it, it, it looks like really him. weird. Yeah, for sure. But the point is, is that he gets bitten in the neck and dragged out of there, so Duke is no more. We cut back to Laon and Chapel in sickbay. Um, they have determined that the Gorn are not there, and they decide to go looking for the girl, because she has disappeared after Buckley voluntary <laughs> surgery. I don't know what the word is. His, uh, you know, his, his birthing. He was in the birthing ward. They make mention that the comms are still down. They cannot communicate to the rest of the crew that, hey, the Gorn of, you know, they are here indeed. They do make mention that the scanners are working, but there are no Gorn shown on the scanners. And that actually yeah. comes later. So, you know, keep that in mind, all you prospective parents out there. Don't Maybe don't have your baby in Starfleet Medical because they cannot keep track of where the newborns are. They do ultimately, La'an and Chapel do end up finding the uh, the girl. She is, uh, quote, fingers hiding. Not very well. And uh, La'an basically gives her a speech about her dead brother and talks about how, you know, the Gorn killed my brother, too. You know, I, yeah, we, we forgot to mention earlier, after Mbenga has this little moment of, of telling her, hey, you know, leave my daughter alone. Oh, wait, no, this is my patient. He He tells her, you know, hey... She's been through some crazy stuff, and berating her is not going to help. You're like one of the few people who knows what she's been through. So, you know, instead of just yelling at her, maybe you can show her how to how to get out from this. Yeah, how to how to overcome. Yeah, clearly she's scared. She's again a, a real young girl. So yeah, and she he's like, yeah, she survived, but that doesn't mean she's going to be able to live. You know, you've got to you got to help her to to move on from this. This is she's got some major major trauma here. And so Luan clearly took that to heart and so the next time she encounters her she instead of being uh, guns blazing, she says, you know, hey, I've been I've been through this too and you know, you can get through this, but we need your help. She this girl has like super newt from Aliens 2 vibes, right? Her whole family has been killed. She's been hiding for a while. I mean, there's yes. I mean, I guess at this point we can we can dig into this a bit. I'll, I'll talk more at the end, but yeah, I mean, I'm kind of amazed that James Cameron doesn't get a story by credit on this episode, quite frankly, because this is just a straight ripoff of Aliens. It's yeah, it's clear that they've taken a lot of the the major story arcs from that. We see a, a quick scene of Uhura and Hammer in engineering, and they have succeeded in getting uh, the majority of the systems back online. And Uhura makes, uh, she had a funny line. She said, Team Hemhura strikes again, which is, uh, what is it? Is it a malapropism when you put two words together? 
So she puts uh, Hemmer and Uhura together. Yeah, she did that in the, the previous episode where they were in the cargo hold together working through that disaster. So, yeah, again, she's you're right that Hemmer's probably the person she's got the closest relationship with on the ship at this point. As they are celebrating uh, a Xena, I wrote a Xenomorph, but a, a Gorn drops down, um, you know, about 10 feet away from Hemmer and actually spits some acid that hits him on the side of the neck. Not fatal, yeah. He's not happy about it. Yeah, he says it burns quite a bit. We cut real quick to Kirk, Spock, Pike, and Mbenga in sickbay. And uh, Kirk is clearly not happy about the danger on this away mission. I don't think he knew what he signed up for. Um, now that the comms are back up because of Uhura and Hemmer, uh, Pike alerts everyone about what's going on. And he basically gets, you know, does an, a shipwide alert and tells everyone to get back to sickbay. They kind of have a quick debriefing on the Gorn. They've used some of the scanners of the ship or they've read it from the, the computer on the ship that the Gorn's biological makeup renders them invisible to all of our sensors. So just the, the genetics of a Gorn are resistant to sensors. So they are unable to track them even when the sensors are working. Yeah. Which they explain that's why they didn't see any of the baby Gorn inside of Buckley when they scanned him. There's a quick mention that the Gorn mature at different rates depending on the species. So some species, they mature very slowly, and some species, they uh, mature very rapidly. There is mention, I forget what species it was. One species takes weeks, but humans take days. I think they said something about four days. You know, and this, this, I mean, I'll go with it because sure, why not? But uh, yeah, it sure seems like their medical technology would have noticed something amiss. Even if they didn't see specifically, you know, okay, we don't see that there's Gorn, but hey, there's like these, like there's these four pockets in this thing's body that are, I guess they hadn't seen this alien before, so they don't know its physiology. So maybe that's the explanation there, but. Yeah, I was going to say, couldn't you, you know, check respiration or. An x-ray would show you like, hey, look, there's. Maybe that's why they made Buckley a new species, so they'd have a pass on. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, I'll, gi I'll give him that one. Kirk continues to lose it, you know, while all this is going on. At one point, Spock says that the Gorn are impressive and Kirk just is not having. He's like, what do you mean they're impressive? Yeah, and he's, he says something about like, he, then he starts basically going like, hey, aren't you know, you're not faced by any of this. You're just this, you know, cold-blooded Vulcan bastard, basically. And uh, yeah, as, as this was happening, I'm thinking like, man, I, okay, you know, I know we're we're fairly informal in the Enterprise. Uh, you know, Pike refers to the crew by their names pretty regularly. I don't remember who it was, but someone earlier in the episode, one of the crew referred to him as Chris. Oh, interesting. Uh, so, and, and, and as if that was something they did regularly, it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, it didn't sound like something that was unusual or strange. It just was a normal day on the enterprise and someone's calling the captain Chris. Uh, so that, you know, they, they're keeping it pretty informal, but this is still at the end of the day, this is still a military organization. They've got ranks and I mean, Spock's what, like the, the third officer, he's yeah. like, third in command of the ship and you know lieutenant <laughs> lieutenant kirk is just going off on him and nobody reprimands him nobody says it i mean you know at the end of it pike's kind of like okay you know hey calm down we got to work together but i just felt like he really crossed the line here and someone would have said something to him 
I didn't even think about that. Yeah, that's a really good point. There's nothing in the military. It's hierarchy and respect. So yeah, absolutely. That's a really good point. You know, Starfleet's always come off as, you know, not that rigid with the hierarchy, but, uh, you know, they definitely have one. And, um, you know, you, you, you're not just following orders blindly. You can question things and you can have a discussion and all that. But, uh, I don't think you generally can, you know, like scream in your superior officer's face like that. Well, especially, I mean, again, Spock is the science officer. So if, if the Gorn are going to be impressive to anyone, it's going to be the science officer, right? Yeah. Yeah, we've just just learned literally 30 seconds ago that they can mature, you know, in days. They are not on our sensors. Of course, those things are going to be impressive, too. Yeah, that sure sounds impressive to me. Doesn't mean I want to encounter one or that I think they're great, but they sure sound impressive. At this point, uh, they make mention that uh, everything is back online except navigation. So Pike has a, a kind of what I thought was kind of a weird line. He says, well, that means our mission is complete. And I was like, well, I mean, isn't your mission to, you know, it's a distress call. Aren't you supposed to try and track down all of the crew? I didn't get the impression they've determined where all of the crew is. Well, so their mission was to go down and provide support to the crew and help them fix the ship. So I guess he's saying, well, we fixed the ship, so our mission's complete. And the crew, we can't help the crew because they're all dead. So that part is moot, and we've completed our the mission to fix the ship. So we're done. We've done what we came here to do, and now it's time to go. But yeah, the way he says it kind of has like a bit of a mission accomplished. Yeah, vibe. right. Yeah, right. And uh, yeah, it's it's not going quite to plan here, Chris. Well, the next thing they mention is that they need to build a trap for the Gorn, because again, the Enterprise is not back. They can't leave even if they want to. The the mission may be completed, but they're still waiting for the Enterprise to return. So they need to capture and kill or do whatever to keep themselves safe from the Gorn. uh, We are reminded that the Gorn don't like the cold, and so they determine that they are going to build a trap for the Gorn using the environmental controls, and they are going to, you know, basically funnel the surviving Gorn into different parts of the ship based on temperature and then attempt to trap them. We see a cut to the Enterprise. We see Pike Umbenga and the little girl whose name we learn is Oriana, and they are on the bridge. And uh, the bridge is all beat up, you know, and again, the camera is at, you know, 15 degrees or whatever. So you, you realize that things aren't 100%. But again, all the systems are working. So Pike gets the computer back up and working. He asks, the, I can't remember, you know, he says, Pike, or he says, computer, restore controls to the bridge or something like that. And it asks him for his command code. And his command code is 246810. Yep. And Umbango was like, you haven't changed that yet? Which I thought was kind of, I, I always thought the command codes on the, on the Enterprise are, you know, they're cool. I, I don't think that it's it's not a password, I don't feel like. It's it's not, you know, they say it in front of other people, so it's yeah. not intended to be kept secret, clearly. But I think it's supposed to be a little harder to guess than 246810. I, I always got the impression that it was a mixture of, you know, like, the computer recognizes the voice and they know the... the... It is, yeah, and clearly the voice print is the more important part. But, right, right. yeah, uh, reproducing someone's voice is not that difficult. So we, we would hope that it's also, like, you're, you know, you've got to have your – there's some kind of biometrics with your com badge, too, hopefully, or something. Yeah, right. There's yeah, a little two-factor in your com badge. Yeah. Anyway, so it, it was just – it was a, a brief moment of comedy that his command code is 246810. Yeah, once again, we see Pike does not take much very seriously. 
No. We cut to uh, a hallway and we see what is a dog-sized Gorn chasing Uhura. Um, and it has, um, you know, Predator-style, you know, heat vision kind of. Um, so it kind of cuts from Uhura's vision to the Gorn vision, and you see it's clearly chasing her. They So Uhura runs down this hallway. Kirk closes the door real quick behind her, and then they flood that area with cold. So they are, again, trying to, you know... They're trying to drive it to the part of the ship they want it to go to, yeah. So did you get the impression, so the one, that you because the Gorn is now, at least the one that she just saw was dog-sized, and the ones that came out of Buckley were mouse-sized. Did you get the impression that it had matured that quickly? I That's what I thought, but, you know, I don't know. Again, it's not real clear here right. what exactly is going on. That was my impression, was that these are the Gorn that came out of Buckley, and they've gotten that big that fast, but I, I don't know. It wasn't that was the impression I got, too, was that that what has happened. So perhaps Buckley's race, they mature extremely fast because, I mean, what was the time period between the those two was like, what, an hour, maybe? I mean, yeah, I mean, it's hard to know the time scale of this episode, but it doesn't seem like it's that long. It's not days. So anyway, we see this uh, this Gorn chase Uhura and uh, she gets away. We see, uh, we cut to, you know, the next scene. So, you know, wherever the Gorn is now, you know, they've got another crew member there to try and get it to chase them. And, and this one happens to be Spock. Spock makes mention that he sees the Gorn, but he cannot get the Gorn to engage. So uh, he calms, you know, and tells the rest of the crew, he's like, hey, I see this thing. I'm, you know, I'm getting close to it, you know, but I can't get it to chase me. And I forget who it is, but one of them makes mention that you need to get angry and you need it's to blue on. She, she says that, you know, they respond to aggression. So you have to be, you know, you have to get aggressive, get in its face. Yeah. So, you know, Spock kind of goes like Wolvie Berserk style on this thing. Like he gets like uncharacteristically angry, even for, uh, for a Vulcan, certainly, but I think even for like a human, like he just he says something along the lines of, uh, you know, I'm going to let the, let the rage, in my in my mind go to my heart or something like that i can't remember or the rage of my heart go to my mind or something like that whatever he does it works because he gets pretty angry and um so uh just as you know it starts to chase spock and just as uh you know it's going to be too late again kirk saves him at the very last minute you don't even see you you don't see kirk like it just kind of cuts and all of a sudden Kirk is there and he has saved Spock. So you, you don't get the impression like Spock is running at Kirk, you know, and he's got three seconds where this door closes kind of thing. Yeah. What, um, but the second he sees him, he, you know, he kind of turns to attack him and Kirk has to say, Whoa, whoa Hey, it's me. Yeah. Like, but you know, down boy. Right. So yeah, like, like you said, Spock's kind of in berserker mode at this point. Laon mentions that they actually hear two Gorn fighting. So what he thought was just one was two. So uh, Laon says, when those two are finished, there will be one left, the Alpha. We put that down and we go home. Yeah, I got the impression that was that was the plan was they were trying to drive them into the same spot of the ship so they would fight each other. And then they'd only have one to deal with. Ultimately, so, I mean, we saw the the one baby Gorn right after it bursts out of Buckley kill the other one. So even as they grow, you know, they're extremely territorial, kind of the Highlander mentality there. 
So, um, and presumably they grow out of that at some point because we know the Gorn are operating starships. So, you know, they have a civilization that it can't be that any Gorn that run into each other immediately start fighting each other because they'd still be in caves, you know? So, um, you know, must be, you know, when they're young, they're, they're jockeying for position and trying to, you know, get the, who's going to be the alpha. Cause we're going to kill everybody else in, in the litter, I guess. And then after that, they must get over it. I don't know. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. It must be like a, yeah. A juvenile Gorn thing. Well, after the two Gorn fight, you know, there's one left. Um, so Laon is next up to, I guess, bait this thing. And at one point, like she goes kind of like badass. She she sees the Gorn and she drops her phaser, and she yells at the Gorn. She's like, "I'm unarmed, you know, come get me!" Like she's yeah. It was you know it was clearly very reckless, but she had a point to prove, right? Yeah, and it works. She runs down this hallway and she kind of hides in this hexagonal storage tube kind of thing, and the Gorn jumps on top. It has a glass window, and the Gorn is like clawing at the glass and you know, marking up the glass. So she doesn't have a whole lot of time before this thing, you know, gets through to her right about then we see uh hammer shoot down this huge wind and well, ice she screams at him, you know, hammer now. Oh. And then he, he does this thing. And b- before that, when they were, they were planning this, you know, okay, we're going to drive the two together. Well, they're going to kill one. They didn't really go through all the details of the plan. We kind of see their plan as it unfolds here, but they made a mention that they were going to ultimately this was what they were going to do is have uh, one of them be lured to Hemmer and Hemmer says something along the lines of, you know, uh, I'll help you with this plan, but I won't be the one to kill it because he's a pacifist. Yeah, that was a really cool line, actually. Yeah, he was like he clearly recognizes the threat. He was like, yeah, he actually says he's like, I'll do what it takes, but you'll have to be the one that will kill it. Yeah. Basically I won't be the one to kill it, but I'll, I'll help you with this plan because I recognize that, you know, my, my friends are in danger and I'm willing to, to help them. But then, yeah, when it gets time to it, she's like, okay, hammer now. And he hits the button and, and, you know, hits this thing with some kind of extreme coolant. Right. That freezes it into a block of ice. So, uh, yeah, Hemmer, I, I think, you know, you can rationalize this however you want, but you're the one who killed this thing. Well, I, I, maybe, you know, I'm just playing devil's advocate here. Maybe whatever he froze it with, they have the ability to unfreeze it. They can thaw it later. And she, maybe they were going full aliens too. And they were going to take this back to Starfleet and study it, and make a weapon out of it. Who knows? There you, who, hey, there you go. Well, again, I don't know why I bring that all up because it's moot because uh, Laon gets out of her hexagonal thing and immediately just goes at – there's a little frozen Gorn statue next to it and she just goes nuts and I think she hits it with her phaser rifle or whatever. Yeah, and she crushes it into pieces, which, yeah. hey, more, that's exactly uh, what she should do. So good for her. I, I did note that when she, she destroys it, the interior of the Gorn statue, a bunch of like yellow, I assume, blood oozes out. Yeah. White ice and then a bunch of yellow – so she just straight up executes this frozen gourd if it's not already dead. Yeah. Hemmer comes out from where he was, you know, behind this console after he has hit the, the coolant button and he is clearly not feeling well. He's looking pretty terrible. He is walking funny. Um, he He's breathing is, hard. Yes. He is infected with the Gorn virus, the Gorn eggs, I guess. They determine that the acid that was spit on him earlier, it wasn't just a defense. 
that was also apparently a way that they implant eggs. So Hemmer, yeah, he, he, he pulls his collar back and you, we can see he's got the same kind of blood web kind of pattern on his skin that Buckley did before. Hemmer realizes what's going on. He realizes, you know, Hey, that, you know, he's seen all these people get killed by Gorn. He's seen the entire crew of the Peregrine get, you know, there's nothing left. So he knows. Well, and he also realizes that it's just, it's gestating in him a lot faster than it did in Buckley or would, would in a human. Hemmer doesn't have a whole lot of time. Uh, he says, I'm going to go outside now. He's clearly going to get away from the crew and, and, you know, go out in the cold where they won't survive. So, uh, clearly the crew is not happy about that. They try and talk him out of it. They try and figure, you know, we can work on something. We can come up with an alternative. We can, you know, whatever. Uh, but Hemmer, he, I, I think he realizes the, the severity of the situation and he chooses to take his own life, you know, on his own. I mean, clearly the crew tries to talk him out of it, but he does not do it. His line is my sacrifice will save the lives of those I care most about. For me, there is no other choice. So he's, you know, in essence, saying goodbye to the crew here. At one point, he gives Spock the live long and prosper salute, which I thought was kind of cool. Yeah, it was. He he has one final moment with Uhura where he says, Uhura, I want you to I want to leave you with one last piece of advice. Open yourself, make a home for yourself amongst others, and you will find joy more often than sadness. Which is a really cool line, but it felt super out of place for Hemmer. Because it really did. Hemmer is way more zen this episode. I mean, he's been this curmudgeon yeah. the whole time we've known him. In this episode in particular, he's he's kind of a softy. And it, it, it struck me as odd the whole time. And then when we get to the end here and we find out he's going to die, I'm like, okay, they're giving... They're giving him, making him a little more cushy for his send off here. But yeah, it really, it didn't really seem like a natural way for Hemmer to talk based on what we've seen from him before now. I mean, you could, I mean, I guess you could confer that, you know, perhaps his race or I guess any race, I mean, humans do it too. You know, when you realize you're at the end, you know, your, your values change. Sure. He, he does a pretty quick U-turn because I mean, he goes from being fine to, I have to, kill myself in you know five minutes and yeah he's got a couple good speeches I, I was impressed i thought it was cool so ultimately you know he does make the decision that he can't let this uh gordon come to term i don't know if that's the right word so yeah. he decides to go outside um outside of the peregrine uh where again it's clearly very cold i think uh he steps through and you know the, the snow is swirling around and he closes his eyes and he says just like Andoria, and there's a smile on his face. He was pretty happy. And then uh, he just takes a step over this cliff, and that's the last of it. We do not see Hammer anymore. I mean, clearly, the implication here is that he has taken his own life walking over this cliff. We do not see a body. There's there's nothing else. Um, there's no more Hammer in this, uh, in the series. So um, Hammer is no more. We cut to, uh, I don't want to go into too much. We'll talk about it at the very end. We'll talk about Hemmer's character. Yeah. Trying, I was deciding whether or not I wanted to lead into it right there or not. Yeah, no. We'll have a lot to say about that afterwards. So um, we cut to, we see the Enterprise and the Peregrine, and they are in space or they're in orbit of this planet or whatever. So the Enterprise has returned. They have beamed the away mission, the away team up. And they are actually towing the Peregrine via a tractor beam. Uh, if you remember from before, all of the systems have been restored except for navigation. So right. the Peregrine does not have the ability to navigate, so they're just going to tractor beam. 
they're rope towing it. Yeah. And uh, then it cuts to, um, I, I think it's the, the meeting room or the planning room, and they're having a funeral. They're having a funeral for Hemmer. And, uh, you know, most of the bridge crew, most of the, the A-team is there. Don't forget uh, Cadet Chia and uh, Lieutenant... Uh... Not Duke. Duke's dead. That's what I'm saying. They're having a funeral for... Oh, right, right. Lieutenant Duke and Cadet Chia as well are are two uh, two characters introduced for this episode who were pretty much destined to die. <laughs> Short of actually having a red shirt, they couldn't yeah. more. <laughs> yeah, right. Ortegas gives kind of a cool speech about how, you know, she would always push the engines too hard and Hemmer would, you know, tell her to back off and then they would laugh about it. Uhura says that Hemmer reminded her of her dad. Um, so yeah, it's actually a pretty emotional uh, funeral. I mean, the the yeah. team, every no one was expecting you know Hemmer to die, especially not in that way. I mean, it wasn't like he was killed by the Gorn; he was forced to take his own life, and he did it in an honorable way. So the crew is coming to terms with losing a crew member that way. At one point, um, you know, Spock is standing there, and he makes angry fists at his sides, and he has to walk away. And Chapel sees him make the fist, and she's a little concerned. And when he leaves, she follows him. And they get out into the hallway, and and Spock like just straight up punches one of the bulkheads or the walls or whatever, and and caves it in. Like yeah, he's, yeah. And uh, you know, Chapel comes over to check on him, and and I think she puts a hand on his back or his arm, and he tells her he's like straight up. He was like, "You need to back off. Like I can't control myself. I'm not in a good place right now." And like Chapel is very concerned, very uncharacteristic of Spock, who you never see his emotions. Right. And she's like, hey, what's going on? And, you know, and he says that he let out his rage and his pain and now he can't control it. So he had to, you know, do this to get to the part of him that he could use to fight the Gorn. But now he has lost control of it. And he's he's worried. He says, my mind has gone weak. So, and I thought Chapel had a really great line here. She says, it doesn't, it doesn't make you weak, Spock. It makes you human. So he's kind of like, yeah, I don't know what's happening. I just can't control the, you know, and she's like, well, it's, these are your feelings. This is, this is a normal thing. And he, yeah, he says that it's weakness. And she says, no, it just, yeah, like you said, makes, makes him human. It's a good line. Um, But she's, she's like cupping his face at this point. Right. Uh, it's a very intimate scene. Uh, and the scene ends with them, that they embrace in a very romantic, not romantic. I thing. thought that was more, more of a friendly gesture. But the point is, is this is not how I would expect coworkers or crew members to behave. No, they, they have a, a pretty high level of intimacy. Yeah. Here. Right. The, uh, so we have two last quick scenes and we'll discuss a little bit more about Hemmer. We see Laon and Pike, and they are in Pike's quarters. She makes mention that she has found a lead for Oriana's family. So again, Oriana is now on, as far as I know, Oriana is the only one that survived the Peregrine. And so Laon kind of takes it upon herself to investigate or to try and get Oriana back to her family. Um, she makes mention that she's found a lead to that might take her to Oriana's family, but it is outside of Federation space and it's a weak lead. So yeah. 
um, she basically asks Pike, she says, Hey, I, I want a leave of absence. I really need to, I need to see this through. I want to take Oriana and, you know, try and reunite her with her family. And, you know, basically I forget what her exact line is. She says, you know, you can, whatever, dishonorably discharge me if you have to, but I'm going to go. She's asking for permission. And, and yeah, Pike says, you know, does it, would it really matter if I said no? Right. And she says, no, I'm going either way. And he's like, yeah, I kind of, that's what I thought. So yeah, we'll, we'll make sure he says, I'll, I'll clear it with Starfleet. Don't worry about it. Right. He's, he's clearly on her side. He's yeah. He, he was not doing the typical yeah. commanding officer thing. We're like, Hey, but uh, this is a big step for Laon. She's, you know, she's the buy the book, get the job done Starfleet person. And uh, yeah, not only is she going to, you know, go take, take uh, Mbenga's advice and, you know, try to help this little girl, but yeah, she's going to leave Starfleet temporarily to do it. So this is a big step for her. Yeah. There's no indication of how long this is going to, it's not like, you know, the, the lead is in the next star system and I'll be back in three days. You get the impression it's going to be a while, but none of that is, is really mentioned. So, and um, uh, she caps it off by uh, calling, uh, she calls him Chris at the end of their conversation, which is clearly a big step for her too, in in dropping a little bit of her formality. So she's done a lot of growing in this episode. The very, very, very final scene is uh, we cut to Uhura, and she is standing off the bridge. It might be on the turbo lift. It's hard to say. And she's coming off the turbo lift onto the bridge. Yeah. She and she's looking onto the bridge, and she, you just kind of see Una sitting in the captain's chair, and she kind of just stands there for a couple seconds and just kind of takes it in and she takes i think one step onto the bridge and you see you hear the og calm sound that uhura had in the original series and uhura just kind of smiles and then the credits roll yeah and the shot the shot is kind of framing uhura with the calm station and then we go to credits so yeah that's a good point that was a really cool a well-framed shot because you have the calm station in the front where you know, we know that she ends up sitting and then you see her standing in the back, just kind of taking everything in and then that's it. And then the credits roll. So you get the impression that Uhura has changed her mind and she is going to stay on the enterprise. I mean, we know ultimately that's what happens because she yeah. in the original series. We just don't know how she gets there. And we know that Laon is going to take a, a leave of absence and that's it. And that's, that, that's the end of episode nine. So there, there's one episode after this and it is the series. We, we also get another shot of, of Pike drinking alone in his quarters. Oh yeah. There's a little bit of a montage kind of thing between, uh, the funeral and the scene with, yeah, maybe that's like right before Laon comes into his quarters to talk to him. Oh, but probably. anyway, there's a shot of him. Like he's, he's got a drink poured and he's, he's sitting in his quarters. So, right. So uh, here, here's what I know. I know that the first time I watched this episode, uh, it completely blew me away that they killed Hemmer. And yeah. I remember, because we've been talking about it. I think Hemmer's actually only in four episodes in this season, maybe five. Remember, because we we made mention several times, like, hey, you know, we haven't seen Hemmer. We haven't seen a lot of these main characters. Right. He's been in and out. Uh, I'm looking at IMDb right now. He is in six episodes of the okay. ten. But he's not featured prominently in most of those. There's the one, one of the the one with Ohura, and they're in the cargo hold. Is definitely the one where he gets the most screen time. Other than that, like you know, the one with the doctor and his daughter, uh, with the whole the whole transporter. Yeah. Uh, one I can't remember what the you know the problem they were trying to deal with the transporter, but oh, the the crew got sick. That's what it right. was. The me, the medical scanner didn't work because uh, Mbenga had his daughter in there. Yeah, uh, you know. 
Hemmer comes in uh, to, uh, you know, to check the transporter and he's on screen for maybe, you know, two minutes and that's it. He definitely, he definitely doesn't have traditional, you know, Star Trek engineer screen time. Like you would see with an O'Brien or a Scotty. No. Right. So I, I really like Hemmer's character and I kind of had to do a double take when I realized how little screen time he has. Like, why was I so attached to this character? Because number one, he's not particularly likable. I mean, he's rude to everyone, but he's just such a compelling character. So when he died, I was like, I was kind of ticked. So I went and looked it up online. I'm like, is he really dead? Are they going to pull some, some sort of fast and loose thing where, you know, he doesn't die when he goes over this cliff or whatever. And uh, and according online, he is dead. He's not coming. Well, it sure looked like. I mean, yeah. Not only did he go outside to deal with these eggs, but he threw himself off a cliff. I think they yeah. made it pretty clear he's not coming back. Well, the interesting thing was that apparently um, the the actor that plays him, he knew. So he knew going in, it wasn't like he signed up that I'm going to be the chief engineer for the whole show. Like he knew that he was only going to have this small amount of of episodes. But apparently the fan reaction to Hemmer, like they were read, it was all lit up about people were not happy that Hemmer died. And uh, apparently so much so, and I guess we'll see in season two, but they are going to try and bring back, uh, I think his name is Bruce Hovac, the character that played Hemmer to do something else just because he was such a good actor. So huh. Hem- Hemmer is done. I don't know. Maybe we're going to get Hemmer's twin brother or maybe some. <laughs> I don't know. But I did. I didn't make note that I thought it was interesting that people... they could do a, a transporter clone like uh, yeah, Thomas he... Riker. Yeah. I mean, if you just look at this, you know, he's an engineer. He's kind of this weird race. He's very curmudgeonly. He's blind of all things. I thought it was I thought it was a great character. I just didn't think they used him enough. Yeah, he definitely did not get enough screen time. And then after I saw the outrage after he died, I was like, OK, clearly I'm not the only one that thinks this was an underused character. Yeah. And as you know, as that scene was happening, I'm like, OK, so you guys created this character just to kill him. And again, they knew that that was the play. I mean, the writers. Right. Knew- so th- that was the plan all along. It wasn't like they got to the end and they're like, well, well which is like, okay, now I'm getting why we didn't invest much in this character. Cause you guys knew you were just going to dump him off a cliff. Uh, I mean, I guess we've added to the drama of the show and now it's, Oh, you know, the characters, you know, we killed somebody. So it's not like you're, this ain't your father's star Trek. Not every, you know, the crew isn't necessarily safe. We might, you know, but, I, you know, we know you're not going to kill Spock. We know you're not going to kill Pike. We know you're not going to kill Nurse Chapel. We know you're not going to kill Uhura. We know you're not going to kill, like... There's not uh, a lot. Know. Yeah. But uh, I guess uh, the folks that we haven't seen in uh, future canon are, are on the chopping block, apparently, so... I guess, you know, in all fairness, I mean, they killed Tasha Yar off in season one. I mean, well, that-, that was because the actress quit. But, you know, I, it's not without precedent that a main character can be killed, I suppose. So Yeah, I guess. I don't know. It, I, I thought, like, the, the, the scene didn't feel cheap and the acting was fine. I just thought that, like, the, it's, it felt like a stunt to me. Yeah, I agree. They, I mean, again, just brainstorming here. Uh, you know, Kess only does two seasons on Voyager. And they basically write her off. I mean, she was a yeah. main character. So, you know, I guess there's precedent for it. This one was just different. You know, I guess in both of those cases, I mean, Tasha Yar wasn't particularly popular. Kess was very unpopular. Yeah. You know, but Hemmer was very popular and they decided to, you know, they decided to off him. So I'll be curious to see what they do with that actor, you know, if they really bring him back. But uh, yeah, 
it's worth noting that people were not happy that that Hemmer is no more. So, yeah, uh, I, I just felt like it was kind of a waste that they yeah. could have done a lot of cool things with that character, and uh, we're not gonna, never going to get that. So, I mean, it gave a lot of gravity to the episode at the end there. I'll give it that, but I don't think it's worth eliminating all the cool stories you could have told to this character just to get that one moment. But oh well. We've been talking for about an hour. You want to rate it? Well, let's 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 go over a couple things before we get to the rating. Um, I, again, like as I was watching this, I'm like, okay, this. So we're, you know, when when they do the the chest burster thing, I'm like, come on, guys, you can't you can't do that. They didn't even try and put their own spin on it. No, they just did it. I'm like, guys, come on, like that's not an homage. That's just like that's aliens thing. Like, do your own thing. You've got anyway. Uh, and then they're throwing the, like throwing a little bit of predator into the mix too, just in case, right? So we can cover it all. Yeah, I, I mean, and again, yeah, we've got the girl who's basically Newt. I, I yeah, I'm like, God, is James Cameron going to sue these guys? Like, this is just straight up lifting half the plot. So yeah, okay, we can, we can go into the rating then now, I guess. Um, I I'm not terribly impressed with this episode. Um. I know that uh, the folks online like this one quite a bit. It's it's one of the higher rated episodes of the season. Uh, not working for me. Um, this is not the Star Trek that I'm looking for. I don't think it was bad. I don't think it was a badly made episode. Um, I just think it was it was it just is kind of weak. It's it's just a rehash of Aliens. I and if I want that, guys, I can get that. I can just go watch Aliens. Um, I don't need you guys to do like a low rent version of aliens for me. Do Star Trek. I'm sure there's, but I mean, clearly people liked this one. So I, I'm, I'm in the minority here and, you know, again, the quality was fine. I mean, they did a good job with the episode. It's just not the episode that I'm looking for. So this one's like a six for me. Wow. So this, this again is the second highest rated episode of the season. And uh, I I agree with you. I, I feel like having watched it a second time, I was not excited to watch this episode again because I knew Hammer died and I knew I was not going to be happy about it. So I went into this like, uh, you know, I know where this is going. Like this is um, other than the fact that it is a very clear ripoff of Alien and that they stole a lot of those tropes. I feel like everything else in the episode was great. The characters were good. The 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 plot where they had to split the they had to get the enterprise away from the away team to build the tension i thought that was an interesting take on how they could do that i thought you know giving giving hemmer you know his moment in the sun to save the crew was really cool sure there was a, there was a lot of really good things about this episode i did not like the alien you know i don't you know parody is the right word but you're right. That that definitely felt like, dude. They could have done so many different things with the Gorn bursting out of that guy. Yeah, if they had burst out of his feet or his head, or you know, and they didn't. Any, it just it was like a shot for shot remake. If they had just spread right. it a little bit, how, why would they even I, look kind of like the the xenomorph? Other than that, I thought it was a great episode, um, and I, I was very unhappy clearly to see uh, Hemmer go. Uh, I'll, I'll give it an eight, just because. I'm willing to look past the aliens stuff just because the rest of it was so good. Okay. 
Yeah, I don't know. I mean, again, they're they're clearly doing some things that people like because, like you said, this is one of the highest rated episodes of the season. Uh, and some of my favorite episodes of the season have been some of the lowest rated ones. So, uh, you know, clearly they're making a bit of a new brand of Star Trek that isn't quite to my taste all the time, but, uh, they're, they're finding an audience and they're, they're doing stuff the audience likes. Um, and I like the show again, I, I'm, I'm enjoying this show, uh, a lot more than I did discovery. Uh, so I'm, I'm really happy with the direction they've taken, and I've really liked some of the stories they've told, but some of the other ones have, I don't know. Yeah, this one, again, it's just not what I'm coming to Star Trek for. It wasn't bad. It was fine. Um, if this had been, you know, an episode of an Aliens TV show, yeah, it would have been great. You know, it was well made. It was well acted. It was well shot. The costumes were great. The effects were good. The Gorn looked scary. I mean, everything about it was good. It's just not what I want from a Star Trek episode. I, I think this is a very this is clearly a very action focused episode. So we've had several, you know, morality plays. We, you know, we had right the, the chosen child. We had Ubenga losing his daughter. You know, those are those are morality plays, right? So. This, you know, clearly I think they were going for a little more action. Yeah. So I think it's cool that they're able to do that inside of the same show that they can do, you know, those, you know, morality tales. And it doesn't feel totally out of place. You know, like if you tried to. No, it didn't. If you tried to go to, you know, CSI and all of a sudden do a musical episode or, you know, like it just wouldn't work. Right. These are two very different styles of sh- of episodes. And, you know, it, it works in, in the broad scheme of the show. You can do both of those different types of of episodes and they both work. Yeah, this did. It didn't feel like it was a different show I was watching. Yeah. That, that's that's what I like about this is you can have an episode or that's what I like about Star Trek is you can have one episode where it's just all action and they fight the Borg. And then the next episode is, you know, it's versatile. You can tell a lot of stories with this. format. Yeah, you're not you're not hemmed into it. Yeah. So, yeah. No, I just I just thought this one leaned a little too far in the action direction. And again, it's just not my cup of tea. All right. Well, we've been talking for a while. That was uh, season one, episode nine. We'll be back uh, next time for the series one finale, which not to set the bar too high is the highest rated episode of the season. I'm looking so. forward to it. And, and again, I have I have uh, I'm watching these episodes as we go. I have no knowledge of the episode before. Uh, I watch it right before we do the episode, uh, right before we record the podcast. Um, and uh, I'm I'm hoping for this one that we get some good Pike moments. We haven't had a lot for Pike to do in the last several episodes. All right. Well, you're in for a treat. Oh, good. Okay. All right. We'll see you next time. All right. See you then.